0: We ask you to bless this evening. Bless us as we look at it, the word. We ask you to guide and lead us and teach us what you would want us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be starting the study in verse 20, but I'm going to read 19 because the very first word is in 20 is but. So we need to really figure out what it is that he's given the opposite of. So 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of of God stands sure, having this seal: the Lord knows them that are His. And let every one that names the name of the Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and earth, and some for to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel to, unto honor, sanctified and met for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolishness and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives, and the the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. So we want to look at this. Um, he starts saying that God knows his people. I'm glad that God knows his people. Uh, we covered that last week. But I'm glad that he knows He knows us. And he knows who, who his people are. Because there's times I get this question all the time. Well, How do you know somebody saved? Well, I can only look at what I can see you know, and listen to the discernment of the spirit. There are certain people I'm pretty sure that they're saved because I watched the changes in their lives. And at least for a period of time, I can say that person sure looks like they're saved. They say they're saved. They act like they're saved. I can, you know, now, what happens to them 15 years later? I don't know. Uh, maybe they weren't saved and they were just a good actor for a period of time. That's none of my business, actually. Uh, but here it says, God knows his children. He goes, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and earth, and some for honor and some for dishonor. So here Paul is saying, you know, Timothy, there's all kinds of bowls in, the, in these great houses. There's the ones that you use on the serving tables for food, the gold, silver, uh, those type of things. And there's the bowls that get used elsewhere, like uh, the latrine because they did not have flushing toilets back there. You you uh, did your business in a chamber pot and they carried out that and that was not one that you wanted to use for anything else. It was necessary, it was very important to the health of the house, but you definitely didn't want to use that bowl for anything other than what it was used for. And this is what Paul is telling them. He goes, there's all these bowls that are being used for all kinds of needs and he's not making these things that they're bad, necessarily, because they have their place. And even for us as Christians, not all of us are going to be the gold and silver and all the, the dressing and all of that. Some of us may just be the ones that are useful, but not necessarily wanting to be out in the public. We'll try to keep it as pure as, pure as possible. So he has alluded to people when he says blessings. Basically. He's making a symbolic statement here. Uh, I mean, he's talking about a house, so I mean, he's talking about literal stuff, but he's also referring to the house of God, the house of God and, his, and his children. Um, and it says, If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified, met for the master's use, and prepared to every good work. So our sanctification, our purity, makes us more honorable. You know, it gives us a position of honor in God's house. And, you know, I've met many people who claim to be Christians, and I can't say whether they're Christians or not. But I look at them and go, I don't see any honor in your, in your life. Now, I can't say, and this is something I've had to deal with certain people that, that I know. Well, this person says they're a Christian, and they do this, that, and the other thing, and I just don't understand how they can say they're a Christian and do these things. And I'm going, well, you know what? I agree with you. I don't know how they can say they're a Christian and do that except that uh, being saved is a gift of grace, not of works. And most people don't like to hear that statement. Now they like the idea that I'm saved by grace. You know, I'm saved by grace, don't judge me. But what do they want to do? They want to judge everybody else's works. And they will quote, you know, we're to, we're to look at the fruit, we're to examine, examine people and, and see where they're at. But you know, we can't definitively say that somebody's saved or lost at all. Because the shepherd knows his sheep. And we know that Satan puts in people that will claim the name of Christ. The wheat and the tares that, that Jesus gave the, the parable of. He, they plant; He plants wheat and the enemy plants in tares. So you have some people that really look like really good Christians. Except they're not going to bear the fruit. They're not going to bear the fruit of Christ. But they look just like a Christian. They have good self-discipline. They at least on the outward appearance of things, look like they're a good person. And we see these people in churches a lot, unfortunately. Uh, and there's been people, I'm going, they don't. I guess the Spirit doesn't witness. They seem to be good. Um, I've shared the story. We were interviewing a deacon, and we talked to his wife because we were interviewing their wives, and we asked her to tell us when she got saved and about it, and her story was, I was always better than everybody I knew. You know, when did you find, when did you realize you were a sinner in need of the Savior? I've always been better than everybody I know. Now, if you looked at her before that interview, I would have said, she seems to be a good Christian. She comes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, She's at all the activities, you know, they're, they're supporting the church. She seems to be doing all the right things. But from her own words, it sounds like she never knew Jesus as her Savior. You know, and we tried different ways to get her to, you know, acknowledge that she needed a savior and all of this. And if you would have just looked at her, you would have said, this person, this person is a wonderful Christian. And I've met them. I've met these people all my life that seem to be wonderful Christians. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't give me a great witness with some of them. I'm going, okay, God, I don't know why you're not giving me a witness. They seem to be everything they're supposed to. Be. And then there's other people you look at and they're changing, their life's changing, they're becoming a new creation in Christ. And the time you know them, the Holy Spirit is witnessing, and you're going, I think they're saved. And so we can almost tell the the Spirit is in them and the Spirit is in us. There should be a witness to the Spirit in in each one of us that says, that person is one of the saved. And I've had this happen. I've been in different groups. I go, God, I need to find a Christian in this group because... I don't even want to be at this meeting, and I, and I need to find some Christians, and sure enough, I'd be led right to Spirit. would bring me right to the Spirit, and we'd get together and be able to enjoy the, the, the time together. So the Spirit gives us discernment, 2 Timothy 2.20. And it's not really our job to yeah. do that, but by the same token, I understand. I want to hang out with Christians. For just hanging out purposes. Now, as I said this morning, I have to be around non-Christians. Otherwise, I have nobody to to witness to. But if I'm going to just spend time with somebody, I want it to be with Christians because there's a fellowship there. You know, going out and joining a bowling league or some kind of activity is a good way to get out and meet other people. But my ones that I want to hang out with will be Christians. Flee also useful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This whole idea of flee, seek safety, run from. Part of our problem sometimes is we run to it, we, to it, we hang out, we see the problem, we're going, oh, you know, I'm strong enough. I can, I can withstand this temptation. Or I can change them. Or oh, I can change them. I will change them. Uh, when we were teaching youth, it was the avoid missionary dating going out with a lost person trying to get them saved uh, very very rarely well the problem is though maybe one in 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 10 or 20 times somebody actually does change the lost person And people see there's the, there's a good example No, you know the odds were very bad odds <laughs> the, the odds are very bad don't do it <laughs> go with the easy safe bet you know uh, and he says flee useful youthful lust and lust is the desire of things that are illicit. Now, and we all struggle with lust anyway. I mean, that's part of our problem, and not just sexual lust. I mean, the lust of doing something wrong. Uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, and the pride of life is, is told to us that we all suffer from it. Now, our eyes get us in trouble. Our desires get us in trouble. And then just our living, <laughs> our sinful living gets us in trouble. And, you know, Paul is telling Timothy, flee these things. Do not hang out with people that are going to encourage it. Do not, you know, seek after it. Run. Do not walk. Do not, do not pass go. Go directly to jail if you don't flee these, flee these useful lusts. But he does say, but follow righteousness. Seek after what God is telling us to do. Now, we know we can't be perfect in that. But our goal is to be righteous and holy it is what we should be doing how do we do that well first off we flee the useful lust we watch what our eyes are seeing we watch what we're listening to we watch what we're doing and he goes follow righteousness faith charity or love peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart so he's basically telling them, hang out with Christians. He really is. He's telling them, hang out with others that think the same way that you. They have the same desires that you do. It is much easier to live a righteous life when you're hanging out with Christians than when you're hanging out with the world. Uh, if nothing else, you don't want to look bad in front of the other Christians, which is hip, being a hypocrite. But, you know, you understand what I'm saying. If you're with other Christians, the last thing you want to do is go, well, let's go out and get some drinks. <laughs> Now, they're all going to look like you like, what's wrong with you? Now, now maybe you would be the bad influence on them. But, you know, and I know, understand that's pretty much being a hypocrite. But by the same token, if you can learn to discipline yourself for periods of time, it's going to be a help in the long run. This is why we are said forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and so much more as we see the day approaching because it's going to get harder and harder to find righteousness to hang out with. And this is something that is, you know, as much as I like being at the prison to, to be around people who are lost, I hate being around the prison because there is so much evil. And it's not the inmates that are the evil ones. It's the employees. I hear more foul language from the, from the guards than I do from the, employ, uh, from the inmates. I hear more, you know, stupid talk from the, in, uh, from the employees than I do from the inmates. You know, now, I'm sure that they do their share, but when I'm in present, I don't hear it from the inmates. You know? And so this is what he's saying. Seek after those that are godly. The more we hang out with people that are seeking God, the more we will become like them as well. And this is important to, to avoid all this stuff, to seek love, peace, righteousness, um, And I love this call on the Lord that of them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We should have this desire because God has is sanctifying us and and making us pure that we should be starting to get a more pure heart. Uh, We talked about this yesterday, you know, at the men's breakfast, you know, how the scales fall from our eyes. And all of a sudden we start realizing there's a lot of sin around us that we never noticed before. And maybe that I notice that there's a lot of sin in my own life that I never noticed before. And I realize that the shows that I'm watching have a lot of sin that I never noticed before. And the songs I listen to have a lot of sin in them that I noticed be, never noticed before. Why? Because my heart is being purified and cleansed. And my eyes get opened. And sometimes I look around and go on, God, could you close my eyes again? I'm tired of seeing all this sin. You know, you know, I kind of liked it back before I saw all the sin around me. You know, I was kind of blind to everything going on. And now the eyes are open and it's like, oh, can't do this, can't do that. Uh, Can't go here, can't go there. You know, I drive down the road and it's not quite as bad here in Mojave County as some of the places I've lived. But we get all these people that don't have any clothes on. You (laughs) you You know, and it causes lustful thoughts, you know, it's like. Yeah, you know, and it's like, would you guys just put some clothes on? You know <laughs> You know, like, theoretically they have clothes on by today's standards but there's sure not much there and they don't leave anything to the imagination whatsoever. And you know, and it's like, all right, this is ridiculous. Then you watch TV and have the same problem. The more we follow God, the more we're going to be irritated by sin. Or at least bothered by it. Maybe the irritation's not maybe too strong, but bothered by what we're seeing around us. And then it gets hard not to say something. So we've got all of this going on and all these things going on that we're to keep in mind. You know, who is it that we hang out with? What is it that we're looking for? Are we truly being changed and sanctified? And this is one of the things I look for when people wanna, when I get to know people for a long, long period of time is, are they truly having their hearts changed toward God in all their action? Now I can only look at what they do, but there is a point where you can recognize a heart change in people and i'm not looking for perfection obviously because i'm not anywhere close to being perfect after 50 years of walking with god i'm still not perfect so i can't be looking for perfection but i am looking for people saying i am tired of this sin i am tired of seeing this i am tired of being exposed to this you know and seeing that the life is being sanctified and changed and this is very important and verse 23 says but Foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. Now, this is hard for me to deal with because I am one, and you all know, I like questions. And I'm the regular instructor that says, the teacher, that there are no dumb questions. But in reality, there are questions that are not. He goes, avoid foolish questions. What are foolish questions? They are questions that lead to godless chatter. You know, uh, those are the questions that would be something like, can God make a rock so big that, that he can't move it? You know, God can do anything. Can he make a rock that he can't move? Now, that would be a contradiction of the statement. You know, now, there's no answer to that question in the first place uh, because he's all powerful. So, of course, he can't do it, but then we can do all things. You know, so it's just one of those questions they ask you that says, I'm going to stump you. I'm going to ask you a question that there is no answer to. And you're right, there's no answer to it and that's a foolish question I don't going to deal with. So we want to be careful of these kind of, you know, kind of things. If you're dealing with somebody and all they're asking is foolish questions, then they're not one, they're not a lot of time to waste with it. When I went out soul winning, you know, my job was if somebody was not going to ask serious questions, I moved to the next person. There were too many people to witness to, to be dealing with foolish questions. Now there were times cuz we would go out in teams of two that my job was to keep the people with foolish questions busy and just you know talk to them while somebody else gave the gospel message to the one that wanted to listen and that was a you know point it was a waste of time but somebody else was getting something accomplished in the process and you know so this is something and unlearned questions you know ignorant questions that just had no no basis and they didn't they weren't asking them to learn now a lot of people will ask questions that are unlearned questions they don't know any better and I understand that, and that is good. Uh, the only way you're ever going to learn something is to ask questions. All right? And in, some of those questions may seem like pretty foolish questions, but if you're asking them really wanting to learn, I will answer all those questions all day long, even if they seem to be, you know silly and foolish questions, as long as somebody's really wanting to learn, I'll answer those questions and keep answering those questions and keep answering the questions. If they're just trying to waste my time with these questions. We had a young man that kept coming in here and he loved asking, asking questions and, you know, and answer his questions. And the next week I answered the same questions all over again. And the next week I answered the same questions all over again. I finally told him, I'm not answering any more of your questions because you're not listening. You're looking for reasons not to believe, not looking for answers. And he goes, well, that's not nice of you. And I'm going, yeah, and it's not nice that you're wasting my time. And I just left it that way. You know, it wasn't worth my time and effort to keep answering the same exact foolish questions. You know, the first couple of times, okay, these questions are a little beyond, it, especially at his age. These questions are a little bit beyond your age, but I'm going to answer them. And when he kept asking the same questions again and, and again and again, it's like now we're starting to get into foolish questions that are wasting wasting time and not looking for learning. And, you know, and I'm very patient, I answered them three times before I finally said enough is enough. I'm not answering them anymore. You're, you know, and this is what Paul is telling him. You know, He's telling Timothy, Timothy, you're a pastor, you're the leader, don't waste your time with people that are wasting your time. And this is a really big problem. I mean, if you're a pastor and you've got, even in our church, 20 people, 20 people to minister to, or 100 people if you're in a big church, you can't afford to waste your time with foolishness, uh, and you know, people go, "Well, that's not a very good uh, pastor's hard attitude." I'm going, "Yes, it is." I'm going to. I need to deal with those who are actually seeking God, not the ones that just want to waste time. And you know, and it's hard. And I'm very patient. I will waste a lot of time with somebody before I say I'm wasting time. And he's telling Timothy, "Don't do this." And he goes, knowing that they do gender strife. So these questions are designed in those type of people to try to put in strife and division, because they're hoping that other people will hear their questions and take sides and, and break up a church. Satan's goal is to break up churches and make divisions. And one of the problems we have in our churches today is how many different denominations there are. And most of these, in let's just stick with Baptist. I believe that last count, I think there were 75 different branches of Baptist. Now, each one of those Baptist branches all believe the same main points. And they end up separating on some stupid thing that has nothing to do with the salvation. And they're going, well, because you don't believe such and such, let's take baptism. You baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. and You're only supposed to baptize in the name of Jesus. And there's verses that say both ways. And there are branches of Baptist, Baptist churches that have broken over that statement. What statement do I use when I baptize somebody in the... In the baptism, and it's like you've got to be kidding. You know, that is something you're going to break up your church over. You know, uh, how do you so celebrate the Lord's Supper? Do you only give it to people who say they're saved, or you let it be amongst them? And do they have to be members of your church? You know, and they're, they break up over those kind of things. Yeah, you know, foolish questions that engender strife, and we need to be very careful about that. We do not need strife in the church, especially as we see the end days coming. Now, the world and Satan is trying to get all the churches to come back together, including non-Christian churches. But his goal is to get them not to have standards whatsoever. And there's a fine line between having standards and dividing over those standards. And, And I've shared with you all, I have lots of things that I believe that I don't necessarily expect every single person to agree with me. And a matter of fact, I'd be scared if everybody, if everybody in this church agreed with me on every single thing I taught, I'd be creating a cult, I wouldn't be creating a church. Now I hope that people agree with most of what I teach, otherwise they're probably in the wrong church, but to, to, dis, to agree with me on every single thing would be scary. Because that puts us all in danger. And this is why I say, I want good Bereans. I want people to go into the Word and say, mm, I don't think you were quite right. Here's why. Fine. That's, that's wonderful. When I teach something that you know that I know is somewhat controversial, and if you take the other side, you're in good company on most of those times. There's lots and lots of people that teach the other side of it. And I know what you're going to say. And I'm not going to sit there and argue. The only thing I've asked and I've told you all, Know what you believe and why you believe it. Be able to defend what you believe. And that way you can come back and say, well, this is what I believe, this is why. Fine, because I can tell you why I believe each of the things that I believe. Studied them for many decades. I know what it is I believe and I know why I believe it. And I also know the other side of the story on all of them. And I know if people say, this is what I believe and this is why, I go, okay, well, that pastor, that pastor, that pastor says that, okay. We're, you're fine and you know all that God asks us is to listen to him study to show yourself an approved workman and this is very important are we literally studying God's word to know what we believe and why we believe it and that's what's important to me I'm not looking for a whole bunch of robotic yes men and women in the church saying, oh, we believe because you said so. No, that's dangerous. And I know there are churches out there that there's pastors that want people to say, yes, I believe everything that the pastor says. And they're actually they will chase you out if you don't believe everything that 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 pastor says. And that scares me because they're building more of a cult in their church rather than good, strong Bible believing followers of God. Now, granted, if you disagree with most of what I say, now we've got a problem you probably shouldn't have me as your pastor. But, you know, but if you have just a few areas where you're not in agreement with me, praise God. You know, follow up, know why you believe, and, you know, and follow it on. I've been in many, many churches in my lifetime, and I've never had a pastor that I'm in 100% agreement with. Now, before I was a pastor, I knew what to say and what not to say. If there was some key doctrine that we disagreed with, I wouldn't touch that doctrine from a teaching position, but I would tell them if they ask me on the side, they're gonna hear what I believe, but I will never teach it from, you know, from, the, from the pulpit or from the classroom, because I'm not there to bring division. And this is the important thing, I know where to, to draw lines and follow, follow through with things. And it says, and the servants of the Lord must not strive but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, and patient." Our job is not to argue and fight with people. Even when we're witnessing, our job is not to argue and fight with people. Our job is to teach and to do it patiently. Because if they don't believe it, they're not going to believe it just because I tell them. And I can't argue them into the kingdom anyway. If I sit there and argue with them and I win the argument, as soon as they leave, they're going to find somebody else who believes the other way, and they're going to argue them right back out as, answering, asking questions to them that they didn't ask to me that I would have had answers for, and be talked right out of it. When I used to get visits from the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they always come in pairs, and I would always talk to the, to the newer convert. It didn't take me long to figure out who the newer convert was, and I would irritate the one that was the, the senior and they would go, well, talk to me. I'm the one you're, new. no, I go, you're stuck, in the, you're stuck in the mud. You're not going to change anything. This person's new. They might change. And they'd get out of the house real quick. I go, you're not changing me. I'm not changing you. But this person might hear the truth and be changed. And then they would leave. And then my, heart, my house would be marked off, don't go back to this house. You know, so, so uh, but this is the whole thing. I wasn't sitting there to argue and there's no way I'm going to argue with the older stuck in the older mud person. And I've had them come in like, go, can we talk about the Bible? I'm going, yeah, but you're not going to like my answer. So are, are you going to listen to what's being said or are you going to just hold your dogma? If you're going to hold your dogma, I'm not wasting my time. Uh, if you're going to be willing to learn, I'll take time. And I used to love it because these groups used to say, let's have a Bible study. I love doing Bible studies. Yeah, and I go well. The Greek says this, and I go well. No, it actually says this, as I take out a Greek Greek uh, dictionary, and I go no, this is what it actually says. I go oh, and then they would disappear. (laughs) Uh, So, but our job is not to create strife, even with those that are against God. Our job with them is just to give the gospel message. You know, and this is so important. I've had so many people go. Well, how do you witness to a Muslim? Well, it's real easy. You're, you're a lost sinner headed for hell that needs Jesus' sacrifice for your life. They go, but they don't believe in Jesus. I go, it doesn't matter. The gospel is still the gospel. You know, if I'm witnessing to a Muslim, to a to a, a Jewish person, to a to a, a Hindu person, it doesn't matter who I'm witnessing to. Uh, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, the message is still the same message. We're lost sinners headed for hell without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we need his sacrifice to get saved. Plain and simple. They and go, well, they don't believe it. They, don't, they believe other things. You know, that doesn't matter. I will give the gospel message with the verses along. You know, For all have sinned and come short the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the love of, you know, Christ, uh, God so loved the world that he commended his love toward us. While well, we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. Give them the gospel message and the verses that go along with it. Why? Because people, and I love it when people go, well, you know, I don't believe in the Bible. I go, yes, I absolutely understand. You don't believe in the Bible. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of... I don't believe in the Bible. I understand. (laughs) As I give them more of the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is true. And when we get the word of God into them, the Holy Spirit then starts working in their life and starts making the changes in their life internally. You know, so our job is real simple. We just give them the Bible. Whether they like it, don't like it, don't believe it, it really doesn't matter. Now, if you really want to engage them, you can let them tell you, you know, and you can start with, well, how do you think one gets to heaven? Then listen to the stupid things they're going to say and let them just roll off and then tell them how to get to heaven. Because if you've listened to them, they probably will listen to what you say. You know, especially if you listened respectfully and didn't argue with every point that they made. Well, I believe in reincarnation. I believe I have a hundred chances to get to heaven. Oh, that's quite interesting. Now, how many chances are you on now? Well, I don't know. I've, are you perfect yet? Nope, not there yet. Okay, you Well, know, can I tell you what the Bible says about it? After I've listened to them, and if I've been respectful to them, they probably will be at least respectful enough to listen in return. People like to be listened to, and if we do that, then we can give the gospel message back to them. And it doesn't matter whether they accept it or not. Our job is just to give it, because we can't change anybody. It's the Holy Spirit moving on them that's going to change them, and we need to be patient and just teach, gently teach. If you think back in your life, what were some of the best teachers that you had? They were usually gentle and you knew they cared about you. Uh, out of all my years, I really only remember two teachers in my lifetime in that positively. I do have one that I do that I remember very negatively because he was he was not a very good teacher. But two positive remembrances of teachers. Uh, one was from fourth grade, you know, and the things that were taught to me in fourth grade. And the other one was in high school as well, uh, in my eighth grade of high school that I remember. Those are the only ones I remember. Now I know I learned lots of things and all of that, but those two are the only ones that I remember uh, as positive. And why? They were gentle, they were patient, and this is the way we need to be when we're dealing with people. Gentle teaching. Answer the questions, uh, deal with them gently. You know, Telling people, you're going to go to hell is probably not the best starting point. Now, after you've gone through a couple of things, maybe that point may need to be made. There were times when I would go out on street evangelism and somebody would say, no, 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 and I'm going, "You know." and every once in a while, I would go, I just want you to remember that on whatever date it was, at whatever time it was, you were given the gospel message and you rejected it. You know, I didn't do it every time, but especially if they were obnoxious, I would tell them, you've heard the gospel message and you're, you're, you're accountable. I don't know if it did any good or not, may have just made him mad at me, I don't know. Uh, But gentleness and teaching is so important, and that is our job, to just be gentle, to love people, and care for people. Uh, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patience. I just read that, so, uh, you know, not strive, and be apt to, and be gentle, in Meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. I find this very interesting those who reject God Are in opposition to themselves? Now they don't recognize that they're in opposition to themselves Sometimes we as Christians can be in opposition to ourselves because we're listening to the world our job is to instruct those that are in opposition to themselves uh, opposing themselves causing pain in their life and these can be Christians and non-Christians that I am just gonna keep walking down the path that I'm going I've got my blindfold on I'm gonna drive my car at 120 miles an hour down the road and I hope it's a straight road <laughs> or that I'd get to know the curves you know before I hit the curve uh, they're opposing themselves I've done this many times in my life I've opposed myself and caused problems in my life And our job as followers of Christ are to instruct those that are opposing themselves. And that can take all kinds of different paths. I'm just going to believe what I believe. My church teaches this, so I'm going to believe it this way. Uh, This is what I think. I don't care what any other verses in the Bible say about it. I'm going to believe this way. All the way to, I just don't care about God for the lost world. And they're in opposition to themselves and it says, if God, preadventure or by chance, would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Getting them to know the truth. And the word for acknowledgement here is in Greek, epinosis, which means true and accurate knowledge. Now, when, in Greek, there are many different words for know. I can know something absolutely, epi, over, over knowledge is really what it means. I know it accurately. I know precisely what it says. Uh, Gnosis is just knowledge. I have knowledge. Epinosis is over knowledge. I know it accurately and thoroughly. I can know knowledge by, by the senses. I see, touch, smell. And then I can have knowledge that I understand through the spiritual realm and through training. Uh, So they have lots of words for knowledge, which makes it hard when we read our English version of the Bible because it just says no. And we go, okay, what kind of no is this? And so it's fun sometimes to be able to go into this and find this out. He goes that perhaps God will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth. This is so important. When our eyes are open to the truth, things change for us. We have a different attitude toward whatever it is we're looking at. It doesn't really matter what it is we're looking, but when we get a true and accurate knowledge from God, everything can change. Because now it's no longer just what does the world think, what do I think, but this is what God thinks. And when I come to this true knowledge, my my alignment of my information starts aligning with God's thoughts. And this is what I have shared with us so many times, who are we in Christ is so important to get to know because when I get a true accurate knowledge of who I am in Christ, I can change the way I live because I start realizing that God does not see me the way I see me. You now, I see myself as a total worthless bum that can't get anything right or very little right or nothing right depending on the day of the week and where I'm at with God. And God says, You're my child that I have forgiven. I have clothed you with the righteousness of Christ. And Satan comes along, and when we're, especially when we're down, he re energizes. You're a worthless, terrible bone. You can't get anything right. You should just stay home, ignore that church, ignore your Bible because it's not doing you any good anyway. And we oftentimes will buy into the lies of Satan and get into a pity party. Oh, woe is me. I don't get anything right. I'm. I'm a worthless follower of God. Why would God ever want me to do anything and walk away and and head down, not looking out, and God saying, get back here. That's not who you are. You know, Quit listening to yourself and quit listening to the, the demonic world. And this is very important. True, accurate knowledge of who we are. True, accurate knowledge of what does God expect. Because too many of us have this idea that All right, I'm saved by grace, and I have to keep myself through works. What a sad way to live. It really is. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. How are we kept? You can also put in, by grace are we kept by by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I feel sorry for those churches and denominations that believe you can lose your salvation. You get saved by grace, and then you have to keep yourself by works. I would be in trouble, because my works aren't that good. And I've asked a lot of them, so what does that mean? If you sin moments before you get into a car accident and end up in heaven, are you, are you going to heaven or hell? You didn't have a chance to, con- to confess that sin. You know. So what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm not having to deal with works. I'm glad it is by grace. And this is what is important for us. We oppose ourselves and we need this accurate, precise knowledge of what God, who God is and what he says about us. And then we need to act on that knowledge and not let Satan deceive us, not let ourselves deceive us. Because we all have this real hard opinion of ourselves, if I don't live up to this level. And when I deal with the people who are saying, well, I'm not sure that so-and-so is saved. They say they're saved, but I just don't see any evidence of it. I'm going, so were they saved by grace or by works? Well, they're saved by grace, and they're going, why are you judging them by works? And, you know, this is very important for us. We can't judge ourselves by our works. Now, we can be our worst enemy, you know, because we know why we did it. We think we know why we did it. You know, well, I chose to do this. I purposely decided to sin. Well, I'm sorry. Confess it. Repent and walk with God and he will cover it. You know, and you know this is the problem that we have. We tend to judge everybody by what we see and not what is reality. And this is the problem for us as human beings. We are flesh and blood. We think reality is what we see. Reality is what's going on in the spiritual world that we don't see. You know, so our opinion of reality may not be right. Because God sees something totally different than we see. He goes, okay, this person has fall, fallen into this sin for the 500th time. I know that they've got five more times in their, in their lifetime, and they'll finally get victory over it. And we're seeing 500 failures and go, oh, man, this person's a worthless, terrible person. Or I'm a worthless, terrible person. I'm never going to have victory over this. And God says, yeah, the Spirit will finally give you victory when you finally surrender, but it's still a couple times down the road. You're still saved. You didn't lose your salvation because you failed 500 times. I know you only have, you know, and he's not going to tell us. I know you only have five more times and you're finally going to get sick and tired of it and turn it over to God. Turn it over to me so that you can have victory. And, you know, we all have things that we have trouble in in our life. You know, there's all of us have something that troubles us, if not more than one something in any cases. And we're going, God, I just can't seem to get any victory over this. I need your help. And he's waiting for us to totally surrender to him in that area. Now, the problem is in that area, we usually enjoy that sin for whatever reason. And justify it. Well, it's God, you know, you know, I get mad at all these drivers on the road because they're all idiots and shouldn't be on the road. You know, Take them off the road and I'll be okay. And God said, no, I want to teach you not to be so angry with them. And I used that because that is one of my problems. I, I, li- I don't like stupid drivers and there are a lot of stupid drivers and I don't know where they get their driver's licenses from you know uh, and I'm looking at them going God why are they on the road <laughs> and, and I know that God is working on me uh, and I'm stubborn about it you know it's like okay God uh, luckily I only drive 500 miles a week <laughs> and have to deal with them quite frequently <laughs> which is why it's such a hard area to, to work in but we need to be able to say we oppose ourselves against that knowledge we cause more of our own problems than the enemy does even. Now, if we start getting victory, the enemy will come around and try to help stir the pot a little bit. But, you know, how many times do we cause our own problems? Simple problems like, God, I'm just too tired to go to church today. I'm too tired to read the Bible today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss. times, you know, I didn't, I didn't miss because I had to miss. But, you know, this last week was very hard to not be here, to, to not be teaching. And I didn't have as much motivation to be reading the scriptures, as much motivation to do things. You know, and it was harder to find myself, to find time to do all those things. And I had plenty of time. I had nowhere else to go. You know, and yet it was still hard to do. And it was actually harder to do when I had a nice busy schedule. Because I had everything disciplined and in place and in, in order. And we oppose ourselves so frequently and make our own roadblocks. And we need to be very careful about that and encourage. And one of the things that we can do is if we have someplace that's really a hard area in our life, we can find a mature Christian and say, or even if somebody at the same level and say, you know what, I struggle in this area. Can you keep me in prayer and maybe even ask me how I'm doing in this area? You know, Now, nothing is better than to know that somebody's going to ask you how you're doing in an area to make you stay good. (laughs) Um, It's called accountability partners, and it's a psychological term, but it is really a vital thing. Do I have somebody that says, how are you doing? How are you doing with this area of your life? And it's been a little while since I've had it, but, but I've had it with a with men in Kingman you know, that still know me to this day better than anybody else knows me. Now, when I do talk to them, we'll ask each other how we're doing in certain areas because we spend so much time helping each other stay accountable and being able to work. And it's an important thing to be able to have somebody that just says, how are you doing in this area? Now, for men, it should be another man. For women, it should be another woman, uh, especially if it's a very personal, personal uh, discussion. But... We need to be able to have somebody that says, "I care enough about you to ask," and I'm going to, and should be reciprocated. (laughs) You know, uh, you shouldn't just have somebody over somebody else. They should know something that they're they're looking at to ask you the same questions back about whatever area for you, because we oppose ourselves so easily, and say, "Well," and we love to justify things. You know, "Well, God, it was just a weak moment." And it was a weak moment and i fell into that sin. Well, why were you why are you opposing yourself? Admit that it's a was a sin and confess it and get get through it. And this is where Paul is telling Timothy, beware. Don't don't do this. In verse 26 is, it says and they lead them to repentance for acknowledging the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the de- devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. We don't have enough problems opposing ourselves. We've got Satan laying traps to captivate us, to captivate our hearts, to captivate our desires, to captivate our way of acting. And this can be through all kinds of traps that he lays for us. It could be putting just the right person in our path that's going to be the temptation. It could be somebody that we learn to trust and we get and we should not have trusted them and they betray us. It could be something that we see. And this is something that is hard because Satan is good at putting these little traps. And he knows us. He is not omnipresent, but there's enough demons that they know our weaknesses and strengths. They have binders or computers or something. You know, but, you know, I don't know how, where, how technology they are, but they have some way of knowing what's going on. So that when it comes time to go, you know, this person so struggles in this area. Let's do this and put this in before them and see if we can get them to fall today. Now, we already struggle between our own problems opposing ourselves. And if we somehow start getting victory in that area, Satan likes to come in and say, let me help you. And the sad thing is, sometimes he uses other Christians to help us fall in some of those areas. And because sometimes, because we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, there are some people that may be able to do things that we can't do. Because they are at liberty. Now I'm not talking about literal sins like adultery and fornication and and those kind of things. But there are certain things out there that there is no thou shalt not. You know, thou shalt not smoke is not in the Bible. Thou shalt not gamble is not in the Bible. Now there's lots of principles and stuff that you can take and apply to. that I probably shouldn't be doing that. And that's working out your own salvation. So let's say you're having trouble with smoking. And God has told you it's against, you know, it's a sin. But you come up against another Christian who God isn't talking to them. And literally isn't talking to them about it. It's not a problem for them. And you smell the smoke on them. You see them smoking their cigarette and you're going, Oh, how can that person be a Christian? How can that person be a Christian and be smoking? <laughs> well that's the other side of it. You know, if you don't judge them for it, it's like, wow, I really want that. You know, I really want that. And then you fall because you're you were told not to by God. Now you're sinning because you actually did something that you were told by God not to do. And this is where the problem comes, and Satan is good at laying these kind of traps for us. You know, whatever your sin might be, he'll put somebody in there to give you the opportunity to sin. You know, and this is something that is very important for us. You know, and I've said this many times, you know, uh, we look at these pastors that have gone into foreign, uh, adultery, you know, and we judge them because of the fact that they've committed an adultery. I could probably tell you that none of them ever expected to commit commit adultery I'm sure you know you don't go into the ministry to go how many women can I snag in my church (laughs) that is not what you do as a good pastor now but it can work out that you're having a bad time with your wife and you start being nice to somebody and they start being nice to you and then you do stupid things like be with them alone in the, the room or go to lunch or go to dinner with them and all of a sudden things go where they shouldn't go. And then all kinds of things happen. You know, Satan attacks and you get guilty and this person has something over you and you have something over them. And you know, and it's a real hard world at that point. It's not something that we want to judge one another over. You know, and how many times did that pastor say no to the opportunity? Satan wanted to make sure that they looked bad. You know, and granted they should never have done it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, to, to excuse them. They should never have done it But how many times did they say no? How many times did they not put themselves in the right place for it to even happen so they didn't have to say no and Then they did something stupid and found out that they were a sinner Where we normally sin is going to be the place where we go. I would never fall for this but I think that's part of it, we go through that no I'm going to Be in that position I'm going to Be in, that position. I'm like, well, I be in that position I'm I'm strong enough. I can I can get away with it because I am strong and I have never fallen for this. You know, I have never been tempted to 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 drink so I'm going to hang out in the bar and minister to all the all the people in the bar. Now, there are certain people that better not go into the bar because they know they're going to fall. But I have never been tempted with that. Could I could I take that attitude? I wouldn't because it's, not, it's a dangerous thing. Satan will get us at the point where we think that we would never fail. And this is why I use adultery for pastors because most of them would say there is no way I would ever violate my, my vows to my wife. I would never sleep with one of the members of my church. I would never do these things. And then that never puts no guard on it. And then you do stupid things that get you into the wrong places. And the next thing you know, you are fallen. And we need to be very careful. We are. There is no place in our life that we should say, "I am so strong that I would never fall." In this number, now I would say, it's very unlikely that I would fall into alcoholism, because I don't see. I have no desire for it, but I still have to be careful. I know my personality. I do not want to start drinking even for a small one one drink or something you know it's it's healthy for you if you drink one drink a day and we're hearing all those kind of newscasts i don't want to even fall for that because number one i don't do anything that easily i do everything 100% or i don't do it so i would not be drinking one drink i would not be drinking one cig- uh, smoking one cigarette or 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 popping one one drug i would be in trouble so it's better for me to say no none of it none at all and besides, I'm a pastor, and I don't want people to think that, well, pastor's doing it. It must be okay. Now, I don't want to be seen drinking a glass of wine or, or a glass of, uh, of beer or anything else because I don't want to be the downfall of somebody else and have that problem. But this is so important. Satan brings us captive. And he has captivated the world. He puts them into cages. He catches them in these traps of sin. And then Satan is so wonderful to us. He'll tell us, you can do this thing, because all you gotta do is confess and, and God will forgive you. And we go, no, I'm not gonna do it. Well, you know he'll forgive you. Just you can do it. And then finally you slip and fall, you know, you decide to fall. And then Satan goes, What a terrible sinner you are. You are such a hypocrite. You know, how could you have how could you have done something like that as a Christian? And now you're captive in that whole process, and you have to be able to listen to the Spirit and go to First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. But when we're in that captive cell, we're like, no, I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to, to go before God. You know, I, I'm the cause of all these problems because I did this, and I, and I did this, and I did that. And there's no way God can ever forgive me, even though he says he'll forgive me. There's no way he'll ever forgive me. And we stay captivated by that sin. I don't, I don't deserve forgiveness. None of us deserves forgiveness. That's the point. I don't deserve his grace. Well, of course, we don't deserve his grace. Oh, he does all the time. Well, you are so wicked. God, there's no way God would ever forgive you. You, you, you said you were one of his. And you did this and you did it on purpose, too. You, you chose to do this. You know, and he really makes it. He goes to town on us. Uh, and note that when I say the devil i don 't mean Satan himself is going to attack most of us. most of us are not important enough to get Satan himself to to attack us, but there are lots of demons out there to give attacks. so we just use it as a very generic term because I 've had people go well you talk about the devil a lot, you, know, well, you think the devil attacks you?" I go "No, one of the other demons attacked me I'm not, I am not important enough to, to be attacked by Satan himself, probably. You know, that, that is going to be reserved for these guys that are they're reaching out to millions and millions of people. Now, we do broadcast to tens of thousands of people. Do we have the, the lowest demons in the world after us? I don't think so either. We do have an impact in this world, but it's very small compared to some people. So I don't think we're getting a huge attack, but we're not, we're not taking the smallest inexperienced demons coming after us either. But we need to be very careful because the more we do for God, the more Satan is going to attack us. The more attack there's going to be to try to get us to fall and then to wallow around in the mud and not seek forgiveness. And we do that a lot. You know, we're going to talk about the prodigal son next week on Sunday morning, but what did it do? He fell from where he was at all the way down to feeding the pigs and said, I'm so hungry, I want to eat what they eat. And He didn't even come to his senses right off the bat. It says he gave him the same. And then it says, and then he came to his senses. How long did it take him to come to his senses? It doesn't tell us. How long did he sit there staring at that food? Maybe even eating that food because of his hunger? You know, living in swaller and, and the mud and the muck. How long do we do it sometimes? Before we finally say, God, I am tired of this. You know, I'm your child. I'm coming back to you. Treat me as a servant. I don't care. But just I'm coming back to you. And I'm going to be cleaned up like your servants are. And I don't care to be your child anymore. But, you know, just take me back. And he says, oh, finally, you've repented. And he brings us right back to our position as a child in his kingdom. And that's the important thing. God is ready to forgive. He wants us to forgive. Satan gets us and he attacks us and says, you're not worthy. And you know what? We're not. You know, that's part of the truth. I mean, even though he's a liar, he is a liar because, you know, he knows that God is going to forgive us anyway. But he plays on us and says, the reality is you don't deserve it. And you know, you don't deserve it. So don't go back to God trying to get him to forgive you because you wouldn't forgive somebody that did this to you. So he's not going to forgive you. And he lies to us all the time and keeps us captive. And we need to be able to fully understand God wants to forgive. He wants to give grace. He loves us. He knows that we are stupid, foolish people that can't obey. And he still loves us. And he still wants to forgive us. And he still wants to reward us and clean us up. Even if it's the 9,000th time we've done it. And we go, God, I am just so miserable. He goes, I agree, but come on back anyway, because I'm not seeing that. Don't listen to Satan. Come back to me, because I am going to forgive you, and I'm going to cover that all over again, and you're going to wash you up, and you're going to be back to the pure, precious bride that I have, and we're not going to deal with that. Now, doesn't mean there won't be consequences for all those 9,000 failures, but God doesn't reject us. Now, we may have a hard time with all the consequences for all those activities. But God says, I still love you. I have a plan for you. And this is the good news. He always has a plan for us. No matter how many times I fall flat on my face, no matter how many times I don't follow and obey him, he still has a plan. And he says, you're a righteous person. Get back up. You're a righteous person. Get back up. The boxers are taught... Get back up. You know, get back up. The only time they don't get back up is when they can't. They've been knocked out. Other than that, they're going to try hard to get back up because that is what they're trained to do. You're going to keep fighting. You're going to keep fighting. And God is saying, I'm going to keep lifting you up. If you repent, I'm going to keep lifting you up. I'm going to strengthen you. And eventually, you're going to win the battle because the spirit is going to be what comes out. And that is when we say, God, I am tired of losing. Come in and give me strength. Come in and give me the strength to, to be victorious. And then, God, I can hear God cheering. About time. Let's go. Let's. And He takes us into the next area that we have trouble learning to 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 surrender to Him. And then, once we get through that one, He'll bring another area that it is going to take time to learn to surrender to Him. And He keeps doing that for all our life. That is the act of sanctification, saying, You have trouble in this area. Let's get you through it. And over and over and over again we get to go through that that area until we finally get victory. And then God says, okay now we're going to go to the next area. Yeah, it's kind of hard sometimes, you know, when you walk with God as long as I have, you're going, God can we ever get to the end of this process? And I know the answer to that is, yes there is. As soon as my spirit leaves this body, <laughs> there'll be an end to the process. I'm going, okay, God, let's do it now. I'm ready to go. You know, and I go, no, I've got plans for you until then. Okay, God, <laughs> let's go through this whole process over and over and over again. Because this is where we are. And this, because if we recognize how much trouble we have in our own life, that should move us to give grace to other people. Because we recognize that we are in need of God and have problems every single person is in need of god with problems maybe they're not the same problems as i am probably not and i can't be judging them well i don't understand why you're having a problem i don't have any problem in that area how come you have problems in that area well because they don't have problems that you have you know and this is this is where we're at with this and this is one of the things that i've seen i sometimes when i was younger wished that god had miraculously saved me and took away a lot of my bad bad issues but you know what I've learned over the years of watching people? Those people who have been miraculously saved and changed dramatically overnight have very little patience with those that need God working over a long period of time. You know, they're, they're looking at me and going, what's taking you so long? I got changed overnight. And I go, I have no idea why God didn't change me overnight. It's taken him a long time. Maybe I'm just more stubborn than you were. I have no idea. All I know is it's taken him a long time to change me. But there are things he changed almost instantly in my life. And so we need to be able to understand to learn to be patient with others. We teach with patience, and be patient with other people. And I think that is why God takes a long time to train and, and perfect many people. Because if I had changed overnight, I'm going, I would probably be looking at people going, hey, you know, God changes people overnight, what's taking you so long? You know, look at this, God changed me, and look at all the things he took out of my life overnight. Why, why are you so slow? You must have real big problems. You know, I'm willing to admit I probably have real big problems. That's why God has taken a long time to get, get me changed. But I am also very patient with others that have taken a long time to get changed. And so our job as Christians is to teach with patience, there Christians and non-Christians. Be able to just put in little, little information you know, I've said over and over, I want all people in this church. I don't care what's, what their sins are what they are. Now, am I going to say their sin is okay? No. But I don't care what their sins are when they're sitting out there because I want them to get saved. Once they're saved, the Holy Spirit can, inside will work on them on their sins. And that's the beautiful thing. You know, you, you're somebody living in fornication or adultery or, or homosexuality or anything else, and you get saved... Now the Holy Spirit starts working inside of you and starts convicting you of what you're doing. You know, maybe you're one of those handful of people that are pathological liars. Every time they open their mouth they're lying. Now most of them going to be politicians or lawyers but you know but I've seen many people that it's like your lips are moving what lies are you telling now? now? And it's sad when you meet these people because it's like you get to know that they are nothing but a liar and you're going Okay, how much truth in, did you just say in these sentences? You know, probably not much. God can change even them, and get hold of their life. And we just need to learn to be patient and let God be God. And let God be the one that, does, that changes them. And all these things that we're going through, and this is Paul teaching Timothy. This is what you do as a pastor, as a leader, as somebody who teaches others. Be patient. Don't get wrapped up in ungodly activities and encourage and live around live live out your life among them so that they will see Christ. And we're gonna stop here. I didn't think we we're gonna be there. <laughs> Lord, we ask you to bless this. Lord help us first off to not oppose ourselves. Give us the strength and the eyes to see when we are opposing ourselves. And then, Lord, keep us from being caught up as captive in Satan's snares. And then give us the opportunities to gently teach those that are opposing themselves and caught up in the snares of Satan. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this?